Whenever we think of neighbors, we often have these warm, fuzzy feelings. We said, oh, they're my neighbor, or all the neighbors got together. Uh, we just, we're just great neighbors. But there's times when we have to determine whether or not neighbors are really worth the time, don't we? But Jesus never gave us that opportunity to be able to opt out on whether or not we should be good neighbors. He basically said, who then is your neighbor? with the understanding that all people are your neighbor. My name is Trey Rhodes, and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Northwood Baptist Church, and it's great to have you as we do our audio study guide for July the 9th, and we hope that this will help you in your study as you take the Word of God and you begin to impact and apply it to your life and to the lives of your Life Connection group. We are going to be able to uh, use the material that we have uh, from the sermon last week. And if you're listening for the first time or maybe don't know quite how this works, we listen, uh, we take from the sermon last week. We then uh, develop questions that will help us get deeper into the Word. We also use what we call the observation, interpretation, and application part of the Word of God. And we take it and we begin to make it uh, work not only on the sermon, but in our lives and then ultimately into the rest of the church. So that's the goal of what we do here at Northwood, and it's great to have you be a part with us. We're going to be uh, having, uh, coming up, a uh, training session of sorts, I guess. Uh, I don't know quite what to call it yet, but just be thinking about that, and we're looking sometime in the fall doing that. And we will have uh, opportunities to learn how to use the iPads and so that you'll be able to, even if it doesn't work right, you can figure out how to get back to where you need to be. Uh, We're going to show you why we're doing it and how it works. We're going to hopefully give you the ability to add people to the the different uh, tags in your classes and, and add guests and other things. So we look forward to that. We're also going to have uh, Dr. Um, um, Jonathan Watson with us, and I'm going to ask him at least, let me say it that way, I'm going to ask him because we haven't got everything finalized yet, but going to ask him to be with us to help us work through what it means to do observation, interpretation, and application with a class unit, and maybe Logan can also uh, come and help us think this through. Maybe we'll have a, a panel of discussion with that maybe a couple of you and them and uh, work it all together so that we can do the op- the um, observation, interpretation, application and do it well. And then we're going to also be talking about how that works in with the questions. The questions are designed to help you with your observation, with the interpretation, and then ultimately with the application. How then, if this is the truth, then if, if it is the truth and it matters that much, that we would take the time, then how do we apply it to our daily lives? And we always like to do that one last thing uh, where we say, okay, what what is that one thing you can do this week? What is that that is measurable and doable? And we'll be talking about that. So anyway, it'll be about an hour, hour and a half as we do that. And it'll uh, hopefully do it sometime after church on Sunday as we look at the calendar. A lot is taken up on the uh, after Sunday morning service. So we might have to squeeze in another time or uh, we'll figure it all out somewhere. Maybe we'll do a little later, a little earlier. 
Anyway, uh, just pray for us as we figure that out. We want you to be a part, so be preparing your heart and minds for how we can work that out. And if you have questions that you want addressed or answered, please feel free to uh, get with me, and, and we will certainly do our best to address them as we do this uh, training session together. All right, well, we are in Luke chapter 10. We're going to be talking about a good neighbor. Uh, this Luke chapter 10 has been quite the chapter, hasn't it? Lots has been involved. And then as we study next week, it's going to be in, we're going to be getting into having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's also in Luke chapter 10. So it's, it's going to be a powerful time where we can take the Word of God and, and apply it to our lives in ways that uh, are good. We should be. This is what we are as Christians. But it also has been... Uh, for since uh, the beginning of Luke chapter 9, it's been kind of uncomfortable because Jesus has been very applicational in saying, hey, if you want to follow me, then you, this is what you do. This is how you live. This is, what, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And we all want to think that we're good followers, good followers of Christ. Well, it's not as easy as we make it out to be, is it? Uh, that's why we need the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, if you can, we talked last week about being overwhelmed. And sometimes it takes being overwhelmed to recognize that you can't do it on your own. You have to have the power of God working through you, through the Holy Spirit of God, to bring the grace of God into your life so that you can do the work and the will of God, right? Well, that's what we're talking about. Well, today we're going to be talking about a good neighbor, and all of us have had that good neighbor that, uh, that was, uh, I should say, uh, wasn't so good. Yeah, somebody that we thought initially maybe was going to be a good neighbor and they did a few things for us and we did a few things for them and as as life wore on all of a sudden you said you know this guy I wish I could move and other things that doesn't by the way in the definition of Jesus that doesn't change him being our neighbor does it um, anyway this is about the good Samaritan and Jesus is answering with the story of the good Samaritan uh, with the question of who is my neighbor. Um, and so that's what we're going to look at, is how do we find out who is our neighbor? Uh, that's what we ask when we want to justify the way that we are living. And usually the way we are living is not the way it should be. So this is a short parable that uh, Jesus uses. It's probably the top five of the most famous Bible stories. And... Um, as people, we want good neighbors. Typically, we want to be good neighbors. And you remember the insurance company, even State Farm, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Uh, and that's what is being that we're talking about, like a good neighbor. We want to be like, I guess, like State Farm thinks they are. Of course, they're not, but that's what they think they are. Anyway, the parable is about our need to be good neighbors so that, our, it, 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 so that really it helps us when we become who we need to be it, it can transform a culture, it can transform a society. Think about how much better the world would be if we all focused on being good neighbors. And I think many of us missed the point of this famous story. So that's what we're going to talk about today as we talk about what it means to be a good neighbor. Let's, let's review the story and then we'll get right into the uh, main part of the sermon. Uh, first of all, we have an expert in religious law. That means uh, some translations say a lawyer, but anyway, he's a Jewish scribe and he's a teacher, interpreter of the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew law, and he encounters Jesus not as someone he wants to learn from, but he encounters Jesus and he wants to test him to see if he's following the law like he should. So his heart is closed to Jesus. He's not a seeker. We find that in Luke chapter verse 21. It says, uh, 
that there were some people that would not seek him. Uh, and this is maybe not one of those uh, the, the father, the son re- desires to reveal himself to. So simple questions. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, how can I know if I'm on the right track? And then Jesus replies, you're the expert. And then he says, what does the law say? And he says, love God, love your neighbor. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. If you want to go back and look at both of those, let me say them again. Deuteronomy 6, 5, Leviticus 19, 18. And all the commands hinge on these two commands, which is love God and love your neighbor. So Jesus responds this way. He said, do this and you will live. (laughs) But isn't that the problem? Who can really do this? So verse 29 says that the religious expert wanted to justify his actions. And so he wants to say, hey, I kept the law. I've done enough to inherit eternal life. So the logical question is this, who then is my neighbor? Or in other words, who am I required to love by the law? And I'm sure he's thinking, well, certainly not everyone. For this lawyer, he says, you know, I can't love Romans. Uh, look what they're doing to our country. I can't love Samaritans. They're they're hated enemies. You know, they're intermarried. They destroyed. They don't even worship at the temple like they're supposed to. Uh, and to tell you the truth, there's a lot of Jews I don't love. And there's a lot of these sinners. How can I love these sinners that say they're Jews and are not? Uh, so the question is, does a neighbor just have to deal with proximity? Or is it people in our family? Or is it maybe it's just close friends? Uh, maybe it's just church members. I don't know. who. So who am I supposed to demonstrate the love of God to this agape love with unconditional sacrificial love. So Jesus tells us parable. And by the way, parable is a made up story. It's not that it couldn't have happened something like this or didn't, maybe it was a news, uh, you know, a news broadcast or maybe read in the, in the Jerusalem times and then Jesus enhanced it to use it. But, but, but for the most part, this is a made up story. It's a simple story and it has a punch because this Jewish man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Remember we talked to him? And, and, and by the way, we've, we've done this before. Uh, I did this when we were in, in Israel. And I mean, it is a downhill trek. And you're going from Jerusalem, which is 3,000 feet above sea level, to Jericho that's 1,000 feet below sea level. So you're, in, effective, in effect, going down 4,000 feet. And by the way, this was a, a well-known road. It was a long, windy descent. It was about 17 miles. They called it the bloody way because it's notoriously dangerous with robbers and other people looking for the next victim. So on this story, the robbers found their victim, this, this Jewish man who was beaten up, uh, took his, even his clothes, and then left him for dead. So everyone in the audience is, knows about this road, and they're nodding their head. Yep, we've heard of this story before. Happens all the time. That's why I said it might, a story like this might have been in the Jerusalem Times that day. But anyway, verse 31 then, just, then says... A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, you know, some hope for this dead, this priest is coming, and for this dead, half-dead man, he said, wow, there's a priest, maybe he'll help me. Um, so he's, he's traveling, he's been in the ter- temple serving the Lord, and he's leading people in worship, he's leading people to love God with all their hearts, but he's returning from home from worship, and he moves to the other side of the street so he can avoid this man. Now, commentators try to read into the story, he didn't want to touch a half-dead man and all that stuff. Or he didn't stop because he was afraid the bandits pounce on him. Who knows? It's a made-up story. Jesus doesn't tell us, but it's not the point. So verse 32, a Levite comes. Now, a priest was a Levite, but a Levite was not necessarily a priest. A lot of Levites helped in the 
uh, in, in the uh, worship. The Levites were also uh, song leaders. Uh, Levites helped with the uh, help with doing the actions. Uh, maybe they would slaughter an animal, or they would help clean the the, the brazen uh, 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 water water uh, uh, vat that they took holy water out of. I don't know, but they they would just do those things anyway. So the Levite comes and he does the exact same thing. That represented the religious establishment. These are religious people. This is how religious people act. Very people who should have upheld the two great commands fail. So this crowd's listening. Maybe they're expecting Jesus to end the story with a Jewish layperson who becomes the hero of the story. But no one is expecting this hero, a Samaritan, hated by the Jews, intermarried with the Assyrians, rejected almost all the Hebrew Bible. They built their own temple. James and John were the ones that wanted to call down fire on them. If you go and read in Luke, that was in Luke chapter 9, we, we studied a few weeks ago. So at one point, this, the Jewish establishment was so mad at Jesus, they called him the Samaritan possessed by a demon. That is bad, a Samaritan possessed by a demon. And here Jesus is saying there was a Samaritan. So Jews hated Samaritans, Samaritans hated Jews, and to think that somehow a Samaritan would... would however you want to look at it, stoop down or hold their nose or whatever and help this man, this Jew, was absolutely absurd. Yet in the story, a Samaritan treats the half-dead Jew like he would want to be treated. No expense was too great to help the man. So he takes him to the inn and he tells the innkeeper, which I'm sure was music to the innkeeper's ears, do whatever it takes to care for him. I'll pay whatever extra is spent. So... The question then Jesus asks is who acted like a neighbor? The lawyer won't even say the word Samaritan, although it was clear that was what he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So the story starts with a question, who's my neighbor? And by the end of the story, he flips the question and he's saying, are you a neighbor? Does this man desire to show the same kind of love the Samaritan did? The, the answer is a resounding no. The lawyer wanted to limit who his neighbors were, and Jesus wanted him to see that his neighbor was anyone and everyone that came into contact with him. The love of God that we are called in to, to imitate knows no bounds. It's not limited by whether they live close to us or not. It's not limited by whether or not they're in the same, run the same social circles that we do. It's not limited by, well, they're black or they're white or they're they're Hispanic or they're Asian or they're whatever it is you know that's not limited by those things the call of Jesus is to love sacrificially and the world around us should never love better than we do they should never care better than we do it's sad whenever the world shows more compassion than we do as the people of God so go and do likewise and isn't that the problem we can't go and do likewise Jesus shows the expert that he's, he's an expert in keeping the law. Jesus is humbling this lawyer. He can't live up to the law's expectation. No one can. None of us good neighbors. Sure, every now and again we have moments of this sacrificial love, but treating others with sacrificial, compassionate, merciful love every day in every situation. Who does that? Now, this story is a lot more than just being nice to those who are hurting. Uh, that's not the point. The point is that we're not good neighbors. We fail. What we need is a good neighbor that did not fail. We can't justify ourselves. We can't say I hadn't been a good neighbor to everyone, but
But I've been good neighbor to enough people to gain eternal life. Even the people you love, you consider close neighbors. You don't always treat them like you should. So let's look at what we can do if we are going to be what we are called to be. And the first is this. You need the ultimate good neighbor. You see, Jesus is the ultimate good neighbor. He is the neighbor who comes close to us. He is uh, the one who we were left for dead, according to Ephesians chapter uh, 1 and 2. We were left for dead. Because of your sin, you were condemned to eternal death, but Jesus showed you love. He did far more for you than the good Samaritan in this story did for the half-dead Jew. Jesus went to a cross, suffered in our place, was beaten, scourged, punished for our sin. He took what was coming so that we would not have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's what being a good neighbor is. And that's why it had to be Jesus. You can never be neighborly enough to earn eternal life. Jesus is that neighbor who wants to transform you and me, the people in your life connection group, into a good neighbor. So what does that mean? And that's the next point. You cannot meet every need, but you can rely on Jesus to meet every need. We can't. We never will be able to meet every need. There's billions of people with billions of needs in our world. And there's no way that an individual or a church or even a nation can meet every need, but Jesus can. So you can, remember we talked about over, being overwhelmed again last week. You can be overwhelmed by this story thinking, I have to meet every need. It's not possible. That's not the point. You're not a good neighbor when you choose to ignore the physical and spiritual needs of, of those around you. That's sinful. You're a good neighbor when you live a spirit-empowered life and you live on mission for Jesus. When you answer the call to discipleship, like Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I cannot go and do likewise to earn my salvation, but I can go and do likewise because of the salvation he has given me. If I follow the Spirit's leadership and, uh, and, and let him work in our life, God will use us to be a blessing to many. So let's talk about that. Let's kind of bring it home to the application part. All right? So the first thing we do, if we're going to be a good neighbor, is we've got to keep our hearts open. Don't be hard. Don't be closed. Live with open arms. Be willing to be inconvenienced, right? Being a good neighbor is keeping my heart open. Second, being a good neighbor is keeping my eyes open. It's, God, let me see what's around me. Let, let me see any opportunities that you bring. The Bible tells us that God is always at work. I think it's in John chapter 5. God is always at work around us. And then third, being a good neighbor is keeping my hands open. It's messy. It takes time. It's sacrificial. It means you're going to have to give of resources that God has given you. It means it's not going to go well because people are sinful and they're going to mess you up. You're going to say that you'll do something for them and they'll turn around and never happen the way that you think it should. And then being a good neighbor is keep your mouth open. We can't, we, we help not for our glory, but for the glory of Jesus. So we meet needs as the Spirit leads so we might open our mouths and share the hope that we have in Jesus. That's the gospel. So open our mouths that we might share the good news of Christ. So if you need, anyone in your Life Connection Group needs the ultimate neighbor, then it is time for them to turn to Jesus by faith. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you a good neighbor? Who is Jesus leading you to show neighbor being, uh, to be a good neighborly person to this week? All right, uh, let's uh, run through the questions. Some good things about good neighbors and bad neighbors and what makes them. How do you define neighbor? And would you consider yourself a good neighbor? Any of those are good 
good opening questions that you might use. And by the way, I'm not upset if you use crowd breakers or other things to help you get everybody talking, get them, get them, uh, you know, interacting with one another. Uh, we use those at staff meeting, and you're certainly welcome to use them in your Life Connection group. All right, now we're going to get into the observation part of what we're going to look at. Remember the OIA, this is observation for 30 to 35 minutes. You're going to spend the majority of your time here. Why would a teacher of the law want to test Jesus? All right, go to Luke, Luke 9, 25, and we're going to find out why would, a, why would a teacher of the law want to test Jesus? Well, we know we wanted, he wanted to see if he was, in other words, he was testing him so he could fail him. That was the idea. It wasn't a test so that he could do well. It was a test so he could fail. Is there anything wrong with the scribe's question? I don't think there's anything wrong with the question in the strictest sense. When he says these words, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think maybe he was much more interested in himself, if nothing else. But certainly, that's, that, that seems like a pretty decent question. Um, why does the scribe's question, what does it show about his lack of understanding about salvation. He thought that he had to do something, and I guess if there's anything wrong, it's the doing part, because it's not about doing. There's not enough that you can ever do to receive eternal life. All right, uh, go on, read verses 26, to 20, uh, 26, 27, 28. Note that when the scribe asked the question, Jesus doesn't respond by saying, believe in me. Instead, how does Jesus respond to the scribe's question? So what did Jesus say? Go back to that. In verse 25, the, the question is asked. He said, what is written in the law? So Jesus immediately asked him a question. And then he asked him, how do you read it? Um, so he asked, uh, that's how he responds to the scribe's question. So then the question becomes, why do you think he responded that way? And then he goes into this idea of loving God, loving God and loving your neighbor because all the law and commandments rest on those things. Uh, I think it points them to the impossibility of what we are called to do by the law when they think they can just do a few things and say that they're a good neighbor and that'll be enough and maybe that'll weigh out enough in God's eyes or God's heart that we will be able to go. All right, Luke 10:27. He answered, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and your neighbor as yourself." What Old Testament verses is Jesus quoting? And we talked about that. If you want to go back and look, it's Deuteronomy 6:5 and Leviticus 19:18. So, what does it mean to love God with the totality of your being? That means everything, every opportunity you have, all the time, with the good, with the bad, and with the ugly. We are willing to love not because of who they are, but in spite of who they are. That unconditional, sacrificial love that Jesus has for those who are without him. All right? So that's we love Jesus as ourselves when we love him the way that uh, we are supposed to. We love him in the same way that he loved us. Not because of good things we've done. Not because we are a certain kind of person. Or not because we have money or, so, or we have social standing. But because we are who we are. Jesus loves us. And that's how we are to love as well. Alright, Luke chapter 10 verse 28. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. And, and then he answers in verse 28, um, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So he tells the scribe, do this and live. So why does Jesus say this? How can we do Luke 10, 27? All right. And the, the thing is, is we can not. That's the answer. We cannot live as Luke 10, 27 says to live. So we have to have someone who is a good neighbor. Remember, we talked about that. We can't be the good neighbor unless we are totally dependent and believing in the one who is the good neighbor. All right, Luke 10, 29. It goes on, the Bible goes on to say, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, um, uh, jumped ahead, hold on one second. And wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So he asked that question. Um, so why do you think he does? And I think it's because he wants Jesus to like come out and say, oh, well, you know, this person over here would be, it can't, remember we talked about it can't be the Romans and it can't be the Samaritans and it can't be even some Jews, you know. Uh, we, it's like we're compartmentalizing it. We're going to, okay, I have to love these people, but I don't have to love these people. All right. Let's get into Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 35. What do you notice about this parable? All right. Um, a man was going, and you, first of all, we, we talked about this. It's a made-up story. It's a simple story. It has a real punch. And it tells a story of something that was probably happening in this day. And Jesus does this to turn everything they believed on their head, on its head. Because they would believe that the religious people are doing the right thing. They would believe Jews are doing the right thing. And here comes a Samaritan, a Samaritan, the one they hated. The one that of all people to be a neighbor, they couldn't be a neighbor to, turns and helps this Jew, this half-dead Jew. Um, the point of the story is not all these little details that we try to pull out of here. The point of the story is that we need a good neighbor that takes care of us. And the only way that we can ever be a good neighbor is if that good neighbor lives inside of us. Um, Jesus is the one. Uh, he says, "Go and do likewise." With the with the question, with the with the point that nobody can do it. So Jesus started with the question, "Who's my neighbor?" And he flips the question, and he's saying, "Are you a neighbor? Because if you are, you will live that way." All right, Luke ten thirty-six to thirty-seven. Um, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell to the hands of the robbers? And the one who showed mercy to him, he said, and Jesus told him, go and do the same. Now, what do you notice about the conclusion of this passage? Well, here he comes to the end, and what happens? He, he, let, he makes them make a choice. They're going to have to make a choice between the Jews and Samaritan. And trying to make that choice between the one who is, who uh, of all the people you would think, should not be our neighbor and is now taking care of people that is not his neighbor, that he would not, that as a Samaritan would probably not consider it, but this one Samaritan certainly did. So um, what was Jesus trying to teach this scribe? He was saying, he's saying, go do likewise. And the problem is, is we can't go and do likewise. That's the point. 
He's showing this expert in the law that he is not an expert in keeping the law. Yeah, he might have all the knowledge, but he's not good at keeping it. And that's why he says to the man, go and do the same because he knew he could not keep it. All right, now the interpretation and what you're going to do is kind of gather the, the thoughts, the information that we've talked about here. And then, and again, don't skip this question. Uh, beat it out a little bit. You know, get on the whiteboard. Write some, down some words. Write some thoughts down. Uh, what was the main point here? What was, what was Jesus trying to teach them? Uh, where's, you know, all those things. And kind of give an interpretation story. The main idea of the verses, and he says 15 to 18 words. I'll, I'll let you fudge a little bit if you want to go 20 to 25. But anyway, uh, one sentence that kind of describes the text. And then theolo theological reflection. And then take five to ten minutes to do this. And that is, how does this passage help us to understand the person and work of Jesus Christ? How does this passage point us to the cross? And by the way, these are all important things. You know, Jesus is the good neighbor. The cross is, is the good neighbor that he was, that he went to the cross for us. And how should we live in response to the work of the cross? So now because he has done this for us, we go and do likewise, right? Through the power of God working through us. Overwhelmed that we cannot, but understanding with him we can. All right, let's jump into the application and we'll finish up. All right, number one, how would you think Pat, this passage helped you think about what it means to be a neighbor? Well, I think that you know that if we're going to be the neighbors that God calls us to be, number one, it is not by proximity, it is not by race, it is not because of social standing, it is because they are people and they need our love and our care and our concern, no matter what. Number two, how can knowing the ultimate neighbor help you be a, be a better neighbor? Well, when we understand how Jesus is that good neighbor, and we allow the Holy Spirit of God to work through us, overwhelmed that we cannot take care of people in the way that he was, does, then we can see how we also, through his power, through his strength, are able to be that ultimate neighbor. Number three, how does this passage help us think about meeting the needs of others? Well, we can't meet everybody's need. There's billions of people in this world with needs. But we can walk and do that, be that kind of person that is able to help those who God does lead us to. Is that the point of the passage? The point of the passage is not about meeting the needs of everyone. The point of the passage is meeting the needs of that one that God has brought into our lives. And yet, the one that interrupts us or the one that makes it so that we have to do a little extra or, or whatever it is. All right, number four, how does this passage challenge the way you live for Jesus this week? So what is that going to do? Okay, if that is the case, if this is what we're talking about, then how do we do it? And we talked specifically, we need to keep our hearts open. We need to keep our eyes open, hearts open so that we, we're allowing God to use us. We're having soft hearts towards people. Uh, we, we keep our eyes open. We look around to see where God is at work. We're keeping our hands open. We're being sacrificial in what we do for people and what we give to people. Keep our hands open. And then finally, we keep our mouths open because we remind them that it's not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did for me that even makes me want to be that good neighbor. And we then have the opportunity to share about the ultimate good neighbor, Jesus Christ, who lived the life that we could not live, died the death that we, that we deserved, and then rose again the third day for our sin. That's what he did for us. And then number five, what is that one way you can be a good neighbor this week? Okay, maybe for your neighbor. You know, what is that one thing you can do for them to demonstrate? You know, maybe it's that grumpy one that you just don't want to be around. 
I don't know. You'll have to talk about what that means. But come up with a plan of attack so that you can do something that's measurable and doable. And you don't want to make it impossible. But you want to make it very simple. But you also want to be able to say, okay, I did this next last week or I did not. So come up with a plan on how you can do that. Well, that's all we have for you today. I hope that helped you and hope that as you serve the Lord and uh, teach the Word of God and care for your people, I hope that this will get us on this caring bent where we understand the impact of what Jesus wanted us to do when he said we care for those that God is brought, bringing into our lives. We help them. That's what we do. That's why Life Connection Groups are a care-oriented ministry. Because we care, we want to care as Jesus cared. And it can be overwhelming, and that is why we need the help of Jesus to be the person that God has called us to be. All right? So I, I thank you for considering that and uh, just bring it home to your Life Connection group and how they need to be care leaders. And by the way, this would be a good time to call for care leaders. If you've had a hard time during your uh, Life Connection groups getting care leaders, this is very pointed. And it'll be a great opportunity to say, okay, some of you this week, you need to say, I'm willing to care for three or four people or one or two people or someone, but I'm willing to care for someone in our life connection group on the roll or not on the roll and help to get in their lives and see what we can do to help serve them and love them and be that neighbor that Jesus is to us. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And I hope this has helped. Uh, we are going to pray, and then I will see you on Sunday. God bless you. Father, thank you so much for all that you do for us. And Lord, thank you that your son Jesus is the ultimate neighbor, and he is the one who shows us what it means to give when there is no expectation of return. He is the one that shows us that we give to people that do not deserve it, people that are not like us, people that that we think are, are beneath us or maybe are snobs and we don't want, they don't need us. And all along, Jesus is saying, no, that's who I've called you to be because neighbors are everyone that is in need. And if there's nothing else they're in need of, they're in need of the good news of Christ that they might have their sins forgiven and surrender to you. And that reminds me, if there's anyone in that class this week that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their life, may today be the day and they surrendered to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, God bless you. Have a great Sunday and look forward to seeing you.